So happy Father's Day. <laughs> We're going to have root beer floats after church. So um, to celebrate the dads. And you, we, we brought enough for everybody. So, so you may all celebrate the fathers with us. Everybody gets one. We're, we're just into that here. Oh, sorry, Roger. Um, and so today is Father's Day, and my dad's here. My father's here. So hi, Dad. That's kind of special for me. And my grandma is here, if you didn't see her. She's right back there. So this is the first time that she has ever been to our church in Pullman. So welcome. I'm glad to have you guys here. And it made me want to be like, no, I'm not preaching this week. <laughs> so, um, but I know that they're, they, they're not, they're giving me a grade or anything. It's just that Richard's giving me a grade because he's a professor. All right. So welcome. So for Father's Day, um, I wasn't planning on speaking. I started studying a text on my own. It just intrigued me. I started reading it. I don't know if you've had that where you just feel like, I think I'm supposed to study this right now. I don't know why. We'll just do it and see what happens. And then as I started reading, I told Jamie, this would make a great Father's Day message because this pas passage shows God the Father as a compassionate, is a compassionate Father. And so I said, I'll do it. So you don't have to. I'll take Father's Day. And he's like, okay, great. So um, it's, it's a familiar text. And so sometimes familiar texts are hard to speak on because we're like, I've heard that. I've heard that frequently, or I've heard that often. Um, but I also think that when you read a text, you're in a different place than you were last time. God is speaking something differently to you than last time you read it. We don't stay in the same place in our walk with God. We um, sometimes are moving forward and sometimes we're moving backwards. So you can read a text that you've read. Have you had this experience that you've read before? And you're like, oh, oh, I didn't see that before. Or I'm in a different place than I was and I relate to it differently. So today I'm going to be speaking from a familiar text. This passage, um, I'm calling it The Heart of the Father, my message. And I'm going to read it to you. And if you go to the next slide, as we go along, and as I read it, it's, it's a little bit long. So I'm asking you to listen and to follow along. And I'm also along the side. Can you go to the next one, Anna? So if we go to the next one, see, oh, it's so, can you turn down these? Then I probably can't read this. I also have two pictures of the passage. So both pictures are by Rembrandt. And this is one he painted as a young man. And this is the story of the prodigal. And in this painting, he is, he, Rembrandt was vain. He was known for being quite vain and thinking highly of himself. And he would put himself in the paintings. And so here, he puts himself as the prodigal in a brothel. And at this point, he is a married man. And he puts himself there. So I'm going to put the paintings up. There's going to be two of them. And then the next one I want you to think about as it comes up, the next one is vastly different. The same story, and it is at the end of his life. So I want you to see how they compare. So I'm going to read this passage to you. This is Luke 15, 11 through 32. And he said, There was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, 
Give me the share of the property that's coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will rise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, and bring the fattened calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing, and he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf, because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry, and he refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I have never disobeyed your command, but you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me. And all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Father, today, as I share what you've placed on my heart, I pray that people will hear from you. I pray that people will find themselves in the story, but maybe in a different place than they found themselves before. I pray that we'll hear something new. God, we're all in a new place. We're not where we were last week. We're not where we were a year ago. I pray that we'll be willing to listen to you. Pray that you'll speak to our hearts and our minds both today. Speak, Father, your servants are listening. Amen. Amen. So this text was written in response to a question. And the question was given by the scribes. They were asked, the scribes and the Pharisees, and they said, Jesus, why? Why are you eating with sinners? That's what this story is about. He's like, why were you eating with sinners? And Jesus responded with three parables, not just this one. Because a lot of times we'll just focus on the one. But he actually responded with three parables. And he said in the first one, God is the shepherd. 
This is the first parable. God is the shepherd who goes looking for just that one lost sheep. In the second parable, you might remember, God is the woman who lights a lamp, sweeps out her house, and will not stop searching until she finds that one last coin. And in the third story, God is the father who watches and waits for his child runs out to meet them, embraces them, and urges them to return home. All three parables, God is initiating. In all three parables, God is the one going and looking and finding. It might sound strange, but God wants to find us as much as, if not more, than we want to be found. Can you accept that God, that you're worth finding? Do you really believe that the God of the universe is out searching for you? He initiates to find us. God is not hiding. He does not make it difficult. He makes it as easy as possible to be found. God is doing the looking for us, and we are doing the hiding. Can you put this picture up? It reminded me of this story of God and Adam. Can you put the next slide, Anna? So we looked at this a few months ago, this painting. This is God. This is a classic. You've probably seen it. This is God, and this is Adam. God is the one. He is the one that pursues us, like in this story. He is the one that leans towards us. He's the one that comes and finds us. And once again, like in the story of the parable, see, this is Adam. He's strong. He's buff. And this is, what he, this is how he reaches towards God. This is like, eh, you know, whatever. This is the story of man. This is the story of man and God. God pursues us. And we're like, hmm, yeah, maybe. Maybe I'll give it some effort. Go to the next painting. In this next painting, we have, this is The Return of the Prodigal by Rembrandt. So I'm going to give you a little, little lesson on this painting, just briefly to help you um, be able to think about it and ponder it. So Rembrandt painted this painting. He had a very short period of his life of success and popularity and wealth. But most of his life was filled with disaster and misfortune and grief. He had eight children, and one lived as long as, until, you know, until he died. All the other seven died. Um, his patrons said he was difficult and nearly impossible to work with. In this painting, the first painting, he put himself as the prodigal, and he was in the brothel. In this painting, they actually believe that he painted himself as the father. He had come so far in his life that rather than even being the, the prodigal, that he wanted to be the one that would welcome other people. So I'm going to keep this painting up here as I share today, and I invite you to look at it and to think about the different, the different people. This painting is not to the letter of the text. It's not exactly on the same timeline. It's to the, the spirit of the text. Because in the text, the, this is probably the older son, and he comes later. But in this painting, he's already there. So first today, I want us to look at the younger son. Let's look at the younger son. He left home. Leaving home here represents more than a one-time event. Leaving home is living as though I do not yet have a home, and I must look far and wide to find one. It's about belonging. Over and over we can leave home. We flee those hands of blessings, and we run off to faraway places, searching and searching for love. We have become deaf 
to the Father's ears to say, you're my beloved, I love you. Instead, we're pulled to a distant country. When we are angry, when we are full of jealousy, desire, caught in revenge, lust, greed, rivalries, when you feel this, these are signs that you've left home. What we see in the story of the prodigal is that the world's love is and always will be conditional. The world will love you if, if you have enough money. The world will love you if you respond the way they want you to respond. The world will love you if you're kind. The world will love you if you have the right education. You can probably fill in anything. The, lo- the world will love you if. The world loved him while he had his wealth. But when it was gone, his if was over. We are the prodigal. We are the prodigal every time that we go off searching for love, unconditional love, where it cannot be found. Basically, he said no to his father's love. I'll do it self. It's like, a, like that preschooler. He says no. I'm going to do it my own way. No, I do it self. And that's what he's saying. No, I do it self. The son had a long journey home. One of the greatest challenges of the spiritual life is to receive God's forgiveness. There is something in us humans that keeps us clinging to our sins and prevents us from letting God erase our past and offer us a completely new beginning. We keep insisting, I'm okay as a servant, that's good enough, like he was. I'll just go home and be the servant. That's, that's close enough. I'll just be a hired person. Now let's move on to the elder son. This parable, as we look at it, could actually be called the parable of the two lost sons. Because I would say that they're actually both lost. Listen, when the elder son finally returns from his work, the welcome hard party for his brother is already in full swing. The elder son here, we believe, is the main observer. He is keeping his distance. He's seemingly unwilling to participate in the father's welcome. I wonder what's, what's going on inside of him. What will he do? We don't really know from the text. Will he come closer to his father? Will he choose to embrace them? Or is he going to walk away in disgust? Exteriorly, on the outside, he did all the things. He did all the things a good son is supposed to do. Interiorly, he wandered away from God. He did his duty, he worked hard, and he fulfilled his obligations. It reminded me that God looks at the heart. Like in 1 Samuel, God looks at the heart. Man looks at the outside. This is what he says in verse 29. All these years... I have slaved away for you, and I have never once disobeyed any orders of yours. You never offered me so much as a goat to celebrate with my friends. It's a complaint. He's complaining. This isn't fair. In this complaint, obedience and duty have become a burden. We've talked about that here. God says, my burden is light. What I'm asking you to do, you make it so heavy for yourselves. You put a burden on that I don't ask you to carry. It's like my burden is so light, and you've made it a burden to follow me. 
I think that there are more elder sons and daughters who are lost while they're still at home. The younger sons sinned in a way that can easily be identified. It's obvious. Everyone knows it. His family knows it. He knows it. Everybody knows he sinned. What he did was he misused money, his friends, his time, his own body. What he did was wrong. But the lostness of the elder son is harder to identify. No one could know. Outwardly, he looks faultless. When confronted with his younger brother's return, he is resentful, proud, selfish, and is exposed. The elder son voices a complaint. This isn't fair. Resentment that he has not received his due. How do we complain? This isn't fair. This isn't the way life was supposed to look. I did my part. This isn't how it's supposed to be. Where do we complain? Where we're like, this isn't right. It's resentment. It's resentment that I haven't earned what I was supposed to get. I thought, where do I complain? Where do I think this isn't fair? Because resentment and joy, they can't coexist. He couldn't come to the party because he was too busy resenting his brother. He couldn't join in the fun. It's the same for us. You can't enter in somebody else's joy, and you can't celebrate if you're busy complaining and being resentful. A complainer is hard to live with. Ever think about that? A complainer is hard to live with. People don't know what to do with complaining. You don't know what to do with it when somebody's complaining. You're like, I don't know what to do. And I also realize that a lot of times when you complain about something, you're hoping, like, empathy, you're hoping for a certain result, you're hoping that people see it the way you do, but often what you're hoping for, actually the opposite is what happens. They don't know what to do with you. How, how can the elder son return home from his deep-rooted resentment and his anger? It feels harder than just coming home, like for the younger son, but I say it's the same. I think the return is the same. You place yourself here in the Father's hands, because with God, all things are possible. What struck me this time that was different than before is that the father loves both of the sons equally. He went out to both of them. He doesn't just love the one that ran and went far. He loves both of his sons equally. He has unlimited mercy and love for both of them, both of us. God himself runs out to bring him home. God himself runs out to bring you home. But you can't come home until you realize you're lost. If you're like, I'm good, I'm fine, then you can't come home. And even sometimes you can't come home if you know you're lost, if you don't care. You have to realize and you have to let the Father bring you home. Can you trust, can you believe that the God is looking for you? That he will go anywhere to find you? That he wants you home? that he loves you, that he will not stop until he finds you and he brings you back. When I was reading this, it reminded me of a story. When Emma was a baby, we had a book that I read to her, and it's called The Runaway Bunny. Has anybody ever read The Runaway Bunny? So I was reading her The Runaway Bunny, and I was sitting there, and the bunny, baby bunny goes, I'm going to run away. I'm out of here. I'm running away. And the mama bunny says, that's fine. Go. That's all right. I'm going to come after you. And the baby goody goes, well, what if I climb up the highest mountain? 
Then how are you going to find me? And the bunny says, bunny mama says, I'll become a mountain climber. And I will come and I will get you. And then the next one, he's like, what if I go out on the farthest sea? And the mama bunny says, I'll become a boat. And I will sail out to get you. And I remember sitting like there on the, on the floor crying because as a new mom, I felt unseen. I felt like all I do is take care of this child. Nobody knows me. Nobody sees me. But God's like, I will come after you. I don't care where you go. I don't care where you go, Heidi. I don't care where you guys go. I will come after you, and I will find you like the father in this story. To come home, we also, though, like the elder son, we have to move from resentment to gratitude. He had everything the father had, and yet instead of being grateful, he was resentful. I want more. This isn't fair. Resentment and gratitude cannot coexist. The more we practice gratitude, the more we can learn to see that life is a gift. Gratitude can be spontaneous. As things come your way, you're just grateful for them. A conversation with a friend, a cup of coffee, an amazing breakfast. And gratitude can also be practiced as a discipline. There's always a choice between resentment and gratitude. He says to me, you're with me always. All I have is yours. Next today, and lastly, we're going to look at the father. The emphasis is truly less on the sons, and it's actually on the father. I think we make it about the sons because we relate to them. We're like, oh, that younger son, yep, that's me, or I did that. Or we make it about the elder son because we're like, yeah, yeah, I see that. But the main point of the story is actually about God. It's not about us. It's about the compassionate father. The father takes center stage because the father is a compassionate, compassionate father. I just didn't say that right. God, the creator of heaven and earth, has chosen to relate to us as father. As father, he wants us to be free to love. That includes the possibility that we might go off to a far country and squander everything. As the father, he desires for those that choose to stay, that you experience his provision and presence. In all three of the parables, the parable with the shepherd, the parable of the coin, and the parable of the father, God rejoices when something is found. And he goes out and he invites others to celebrate. How will we celebrate when something's found? Will we join in? This father we have is rich in goodness and mercy. He joyfully welcomes his son home. He calls for a robe. He calls for a ring and sandals. Before the son's done anything, it caught my eye. I think if my kid was coming home, I'd want a plan. Like, what are you going to do to prove to me that you're going to act correctly in my home? (laughs) What are you going to do that I can trust you? What are you going to do to show me that you're different? But God doesn't do that before he welcomes us back. He just says, come. Come. He doesn't wait for, he doesn't say, okay, I want to see that you've, you've changed. He just says, come, welcome. Everything I have is yours. I kind of realized that the idea of a God throwing a party and God celebrating is kind of foreign to me. Jesus describes God's kingdom as a joyful banquet, as a wedding feast. Celebration belongs to God's kingdom. Will we be bystanders? Or will we join in the celebration? Will we be like the elder son 
Will you? Will you join in the celebration? Why is it hard for us? Why are we resistant to a joyful life? God rejoices because one of his children who has lost has been found. In our culture, we don't, we're not used to celebrating little things. We celebrate big things, big accomplishments. But God celebrates little things. Here's a quote by Henry Nouwen. It's the next slide. God rejoices when one repentant sinner returns. Statistically, that is not very interesting. But for God, numbers never seem to matter. I love that quote. God rejoices when one repentant sinner returns. Statistically, that is not very interesting. But for God, numbers never seem to matter. When the prodigal returns, he returns not to remain the child, but to claim his sonship and to become the father. We are also called to come home. And we're not called to stay where we're at. We're called to become spiritual mothers and spiritual fathers. We've been talking about that from the book of 1 Corinthians. How Paul says, I'm your spiritual mother, I'm your spiritual father, he says, and I, I call you to be the same. And here, I see we see that we're not supposed to just stay the kid. Like, we are actually called to become, to love like the father in this text. I think the question isn't so much like, which son are you? Like, I'm the younger, I'm the older. But are you willing to become like the father? Are you willing to love like the father? I think we can ask ourselves, do I even want to be like the father? Do you not just want to be the one that's forgiven, but do you want to be able to forgive others? Do you want to be the one who's not just welcomed home to God, but that you welcome others home? Luke 6.36 says, To be compassionate as your father is compassionate. I think that to be a spiritual mother and a spiritual father, like we've been talking about, is to be able to offer compassion, like, the, like we see here in this picture. To be, the next quote, is from Henry Nouwen as well, against, so he says here, um, we see that, let's see if it starts where I wanted. You guys are so quiet today. You've never been so quiet. Oh. So he says that um, spiritual fatherhood and spiritual motherhood has nothing to do with power, but all to do with compassion. And I was like, well, of course, I don't want to be all like about power. But he says, against my own best attentions, I find myself continually striving to acquire power. When I give advice, I want to know whether it is followed. Oh. When I offer help, I want to be thanked. When I give money, I want it to be used my way. When I do something good, I want to be remembered. Next line. I am constantly concerned that I not be forgotten, that somehow I will live on in the thoughts and deeds of others. How do we become like the father in the painting? John 14, 8, Philip says, Lord, show us the father. And Jesus' response is, whoever has seen me has seen the father. Can you put the last painting up? One more. So today... In closing, um, I've been very quiet, but I hope you've heard something that struck your heart. I hope. I can't read you at all today. Sometimes you interact with me, but today is like, whew. 
So that's all right. I hope that you see this picture of God the Father as the compassionate. And I hope you're willing to ask yourself, am I the younger son? Because I think every time we leave home, when we find ourselves stuck in jealousy or anger, we've moved from home. This is where God's inviting us today. He's saying, I'm inviting you to be the one that comes and I put my arms on and I welcome you back. I think maybe many of us might find ourselves to be the elder sons and daughters. I have in the past, to be honest. I've felt like I related to him, like I've done all the things. I've done them. I've done all the things. But I can be far from God in my heart. I think that's why some of us who've grown up in church sometimes need a coming to Jesus moment. Have you ever heard that? A coming to Jesus moment. Because even though we've been sitting here, our hearts have wandered somewhere else. And I think we're invited. The Father invites both sons to come to the same place, to be invited to the same place. But I also, this time as I read it, I was really challenged to grow up and not to remain the son. Because God calls us to love as he loves. I felt a burning in my heart to move, to be the compassionate father to the people around me, to be able to be the one who welcomes others and to forgive others as I want to be forgiven. So today, I would like to give you a moment to ponder. To ponder, where am I at? What is God speaking to me? What is he challenging you? I hear this, speak, Lord, your servants are listening. We're listening. So I'm going to give you a minute. This is something we do here, is at the end, we actually stop and we take a minute before we just get up and rush off and go home and go back to all of our things. We stop for a minute and we say, God, What did you have for me today? Did I hear anything? Was there anything? Because now I'll take a moment and I'll listen. What do you want to hold on to for the week? What do you want to remember? It might be from the message. might be from worship. could be from talking with somebody. But what what, what did God have for you today? So I'll stop talking and give us a minute. And I want you to ask God, speak, God. I'm listening. And then after that minute, I'm going to ask Jamie to come up and close us with a song of worship.